They were his special people, but God has always, even in the Old Testament, cared and loved and sought all people. Jesus made it very clear, we see in this passage, we go to other passages, that Jesus himself was seeking all people. And when I mean all people, I, I do mean like every single person, but what I primarily mean about all people is this, every type of people. Every ethnicity of people. It's in the news today, and we talk a lot about it. I'm not trying to get political, but I'm just so thankful, and I can just say here, Jesus cares about all people. All ethnic groups he cares about. He cares about every certain language group. Where no, it doesn't matter where you live geographically, God loves you. I'm so glad that God doesn't just love Americans. You know what I mean? But he, he loves people. He loves people with all different personalities. He loves people from all different backgrounds. He loves people from all different past experiences that they've had. God loves all different types of people. We read in Matthew chapter number 28 that he tells his 11 disciples, which is referred to as the Great Commission, after Jesus' ministry, after his death, after his burial, after his resurrection, he gets these 11 guys, and in every gospel account, he basically tells these 11 men, you go to all the nations of the world evangelizing, see people saved indiscriminately. Basically what he's saying is this, when you run into someone, preach the gospel to them, because I love them. I'm so glad the gospel can't go to the wrong address. It's not like, well, you don't meet the requirements. Sorry, can't give you the gospel. If you're breathing, if you're a human, then you qualify for the gospel. You qualify for God's love, and he wants to see that person saved. And I'm so thankful in what that does, and God cares about all people. And we see throughout Scripture that, well, we read there, that all nations, God cares about it. So my question is this. I wonder how that's going to turn out. Because obviously he gave that command, and, and did the disciples reach all nations? Well, they reached a lot, but they didn't reach everyone. And now we hear and living in our world, and we know because of research, our whole world hasn't been reached. Wish that it had. Thankful for the fact that the gospel's been pretty much everywhere, but it hasn't completely permeated every place. There's still people that need to be reached. Sri Lanka. I bet there's some people that need to be reached right around this church. In fact, we've been trying to reach a lady over here that you've probably been trying to reach, Lori. She's our neighbor. Well, I mean, we've been living at that house. The house is over here. Am I getting my directions? Okay, yeah, you, you start getting a little confused when you haven't been in a place in a while. And uh, anyways, we've been trying to invite her because we've been eating her berries. I don't know if they're her berries or our berries or what berries they are. But anyways, and my wife been texting with her, and she, she committed to come, and then she backed out today as we were texting even more, you know, but trying to reach. I'm, I'm sure there's people out here that need Jesus. How is this going to turn out? So will, will God reach all nations? What's going to happen? Well, what I find extremely encouraging is actually a couple passages in the book of Revelation, all right? So, so turn with me to Revelation chapter number 5. I want to show you something. Because in Revelation, the apostle John, most of what's recorded in the book of Revelation are things that have not yet happened. So they're going to happen, though. Like, you, you, don't worry, this will happen, but it hasn't happened yet. All right, so we're all in the same frame, right? So basically, John gets a future glimpse of what's going to take place. And there's a lot of things going on in here. I'm, I'm only focusing on a, a little part of it. I'm not trying to give it a breakdown. But in chapter number five, I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on. But I, and we could explain that, and certainly that would be right, but we would be here a lot longer than normal, all right? So anyways, but my, why don't you look at verse number nine. 
referring to this all nations, all right? So look what's going to take place. In verse number 9, it says this, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood. So this is referring to Jesus Christ and his redemptive work on the cross. But then I want you to take notice of where all these people, these people who have now been redeemed by Jesus Christ, where they come from. So when it says there, has redeemed us to God by thy blood, help me out here, it says this, out of every what? Every kindred. And then we would go on, and every tongue. And every people. And every nation. Now turn over to Revelation chapter number 7. Now Revelation chapter number 7 is a different group of people um, we would see in basically in verse 13 and 14, it talks about this was during the Great Tribulation. So we don't believe, or I don't believe, I, don't, I hope I'm not separate, uh, but I believe that the, the saints are gone at this point. We've been raptured up. I believe in a pre-tribulational rapture, right? But there will be 144,000 that will then preach the gospel, and there will be people saved that time frame. That's what's going on here. So we, we won't be directly connected with it, but you, I just want you to see this. What's going to take place? What's going to be the group of people there? Look at verse number 9. Says this, after this, I behold, and lo, lo, John sees a a great multitude, the Bible says. Well, how big? Well, the Bible says this, which no man could number. So, John, imagine with me, John sees a, a numerous host of people. It is so vast, it is so large, John can't even count how many people are there. All right? And then, what did these people, what, where did these people come from? Well, look with me again. It says these people came from, of all what? Nations and what? Kindreds and what? People and what? Tongues. All right? So, so, so you imagine with me, here are these people. So many people. John can't even number them. It's huge. They, they, they couldn't fit into Quest Field. Is that what the Seahawks place is called? I don't know if it is or whatever. That, you know, they couldn't fit into that stadium, whatever it is. I mean, there's just a huge host of people. And here's what they did. The Bible says they stood before the, before the throne and before the Lamb. Well, who's the Lamb? Jesus Christ, yes, that's right. And then notice their attire. Did you see their attire here? Clothed, it says this, with what type of robe? White robes. Whoa, what's significant about that? They've been washed. They're righteous. The idea of white purity. So the people here on this day, this group of people and what we read before, isn't just everyone universally. It's only the saved. We don't believe in a universal salvation. We believe it's universally offered to all people, but that only those who place their faith in Lord Jesus Christ are going to be there in that group of people. And then it says this, they have palms in their hands, in verse number 10, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And so John here gives us two different occasions, and uh, we okay with the feedback there, Pastor? Just Okay, all right. I mean, you might as well just call out the elephant in the room. You know what I mean? So anyways, now that we've all looked at the light, know that it's a light, then we're going to all attempt to try to ignore the light. All right, I know it's hard, all right? And so there's people from all different groups, but you you saw it. And so as John sees those groups, this is amazing to me, the diverse nature of who's going to be there in the throne, the saved of all time. You know what you're going to have in that group of people? You're going to have people from India. You're going to have people from some remote tribe in India. There'll be people there in the throne room that are saved that are from 
Pakistan. There'll be people there from, oh, watch this, instead of watching that. <laughs> I didn't even think about it, it just happened. There'll be people there on that day from North Korea. And someone will say, well, what's significant about that? Do you know anything about North Korea? Uh, if you're a Christian in North Korea, they find you with a Bible in North Korea, brother, you're a blessing, all right? You may never amen the sermon, you may never, but you're a blessing, all right? Uh, where was I? Okay, anyways, North Korea, you have a Bible there, you're either dead or you're basically put in a work camp, like a concentration camp. I mean, that, that, that's your fate, all right? And yet God, our great God, will save some North Koreans. And there'll be people there from Indonesia, and there'll be people there from Yemen, specifically from northern Yemen, where they estimate in northern Yemen there's about 3 million people, and they estimate between 20 and 30 believers. There's more believers in this auditorium than in all of northern Yemen. And God will save people from there. He'll save people from Germany, people from Canada, people from the United States. There'll be people that day there from Yakima, Washington. Ah! There'll be people there from Puyallup, Washington. There'll be people from Mexico and people from Brazil. And they'll be from all other countries. But also this, there'll be people from all different backgrounds. You know what's going to be amazing? There'll be people that in their human life, their mom and their dad were atheists and they raised them to be an atheist. And they went to a public school system that basically was void of God. They hardly had any friends. That they, anyone, they, they didn't even know really who Christ was. And yet some people like that will be in heaven one day. They'll have a white robe. And it's not because they were an atheist. Because they placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There'll be some people who they spent most of their life incarcerated in a U.S. prison or jail. And made real bad choices in their life. And yet, there'll be some of those people there. With you and with me. There'll be people who grew up in Sunday school there. There'll be people who basically got saved at their deathbed there. There'll be the preacher's kids there. Hopefully the preacher's there on that day. <laughs> I always get, give a hard time to the preacher, sorry. Hopefully I can still get support. No, just, <laughs> what I'm saying is this, uh, just all kinds of different backgrounds, people with all different baggage, all different life experiences, and all, I mean, oh man, it's going to be the most diverse, all different languages. I mean, it's not like English is all, you know, God's language. I mean, all different types, whether they'll speak those languages or not in heaven, you know, maybe they're not. But representation in, from their earthly life of all those languages, so diverse. My question is this, how? It's going to happen. Now, we're not Calvinistic that we like, well, you know, it doesn't matter what we do, and it's just everyone, there's certain people predetermined. They're going to they're gonna go to hell, and they're going to... We're not Calvinistic, and yet we still believe that will happen apart from you and me because God will work through his people to see that people are saved from all these different diverse groups. My question is this. How in the world is that going to happen? The answer is Jesus Christ. But, for, but I want to look at this from an earthly perspective. How... Does someone who grows up in Pakistan, for instance, 99% Islamic. How does someone from an Islamic family who their whole lineage, all as far as they know, was Islamic, how do they end up there on that day? How does someone whose parents were atheists end up there on that day? And we could go into all those situations, and yes, the answer is because they got saved by Jesus Christ, but here is how. 
most likely, they came in contact with someone who knew the Lamb of God. Now, I know I recognize, don't mess up the illustration, that someone could buy their own Bible and read their Bible and, and no one could, could lead them to the Lord and no one was influential in seeing them come to know the Lord. I, I know that's possible. Don't, wreck up, don't rest, mess up the illustration. But you know how most people come to know the Savior? Brother Ed, someone tells them. They come in contact with someone who knows the Lamb of God. You know why John Landy is going to be there on that day? Yeah, when I was 17 years old, I got saved. But here's how it happened. Now, just remember, we know Jesus Christ saves everyone, right? But now we're going to talk about the earthly side of who he uses. I'll be there on that day because I'm my youth pastor. Who, by the way, oh, watch this, watch this. 72 years old. Oh! I'm just, okay, and you say, well, that, that's not a big deal. What, that's not... I didn't say old, I just said he's not as young as, anyways, don't want to get in trouble here about age, all right? I'm just saying that's not extremely young anymore, all right? My youth pastor, 72 years old, he took me and invited me to McDonald's on Summit View Avenue, Yakima, Washington, and sat down with me and shared with me the gospel. Now, I'd been going to church for a year, or not, excuse me, a month, not a year, been going to church for a month. But it's different. When you're in the church service and the preacher's preaching, I mean, you're like listening to him. Well, when you're 17, maybe you're listening to him. But you know, like, oh, yeah, he's probably talking to the other people. But when it's a one-on-one conversation, you kind of have an idea when he says, you need to be saved and you are a sinner. You kind of have an idea. He's talking about me. (laughs) It's a little bit more confrontation. You know what I mean? It's a little more like, okay, yeah, that's me. And I didn't get saved that day, but about a month later, about the second month I was going to church, I found my youth pastor at the end of the service, and I got saved. And God used him to be the one who at least was very influential in giving me a very clear gospel presentation. And I'll be there on that day around the throne room of God, praising the Savior for being redeemed by his blood because of Jesus, but also because Dean Price, my 72-year-old youth pastor, shared Christ with me. It's amazing that God will redeem people from all over this world. And I'm thankful for it, amen? Are you thankful you're going to be there on that day? And yet, church, there's over 3 billion people in the world who've never even heard about his name. That doesn't include the other billions of people who maybe have heard something about Jesus, but they've never truly been saved. doesn't include... Literally millions of Americans who know there's a Bible, who know there's a Jesus, who knows that maybe there's even a word called saved and baptized and salvation, and maybe they would even identify as some sort of denomination of Christian, but they're not saved. And they think, well, living a good life, or I'm a, uh, you know, because by the way, let me just remind us, we got to get, you know, this kind of thinking, just because you're conservative doesn't mean you're saved. Just because you go red doesn't mean you're saved. Just because you're a moral person doesn't mean you're saved. Just because you're a good person doesn't mean you're saved. And we, I mean, America's filled with those kind of people. And yet, if they don't know Jesus as their personal Savior, they will not be there on that day. They'll be just as lost, they're just as lost as some Sri Lankan who believes in 330 million gods. Now, that lostness looks different. 
But your UPS driver, or the person who delivers your Amazon Prime packages, or the post worker, or the person that you get your coffee from, or the cashier at Walmart, or the person in the drive-thru at Chick-fil-A, because even if they work for a Christian company, it doesn't make you Christian, but they, I mean, if you're a Christian, you're a Christian. Those people can be just as lost right here in Puyallup as the Buddhist monk in Sri Lanka, as the atheist in China, as the Muslim man who carries around an AK-47. People here, your neighbor, just as lost as that guy. And by the way, God loves the guy with an AK-47 just as much as he loves your neighbor. They look different. What I'm saying is this, there's a lot of people as of today who won't be there on that day, those revelation days we talked about. I don't want to guilt anyone, but I want you to think, I'm going to ask you a question, and it can come across as like a guilt trip, and that's not my intent, okay? But if we're guilty, we're guilty. <laughs> and my question, I want everyone to think, and I'm, I'm talking to you, and I'm, I'm just going to assume everyone in here is saved tonight. That may not be true, but those of you that are saved, I'm talking to you. I want to ask you this. I believe it's on the authority of God's word, because as a, as a Christian, one of your primary tasks in this world, spread the gospel. You know what the Great Commission is really this? Go duplicate yourself. You've been saved? Go see if someone else gets saved. I want to ask you this question. We read in Revelation chapter number 5 about that group of people from all people, all the di distinctions. And my question is then this. Who will be at the throne room of God because of you? Now, I'm not trying to guilt people. And, and like I said, it, it's Jesus that saves us. Amen? But God has called us. And by the way, it's also, I've got to be honest, it's not our responsibility that people get saved. In the sense of, you can't force anyone to become a Christian. Don't you wish you could just like zap them for salvation? Like, I mean, there's some people I want to be saved. I think about my brother. I want my brother to be saved. But my brother, before he dies, will have to make a decision. And he knows the gospel. He understands the gospel. But he'll have to decide, will he humble himself to the gospel? And I can't choose. I, I can't do, but I can keep on telling him. And I can keep on praying. And so it's not our responsibility they accept it. But it is our responsibility that everyone hears it. That everyone knows. That everyone has access to it. And there's a lot of people, even here in America, because they've heard a convoluted gospel. If they think that somehow they could get there by good works, then they haven't really heard the gospel. If they think that they can somehow get there by going to church or being baptized or having their great-great-grandfather be a Baptist pastor then they haven't heard the real gospel or they're not cognizantly aware of the real gospel. And what it is, they need to hear someone who can then articulate and tell them the real gospel. They need someone to share it with them. Right here, even in America. And so the question is that. And say, well, I don't, I don't know. Isn't that for like missionaries and like pastors? And now, I mean, Brother Ed, he, he's retired from the military, and now he's going to be, I mean, it's for guys like that, you know, they're crazy, and now, he, now I mean, he's this old, now he's going to, I don't know, not that old, you know, I'm just giving you a hard time, Brother Ed. It's for those guys, a few people of the church there, no, 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 God wants to use everyone in this church. I, I, I couldn't say it loud enough, that if you're saved, God wants to use you to see someone else to come to know the Savior. 
And someone say, well, you don't know I'm my personality. God wants to use you. I'm kind of shy. God wants to use you. You never even have to stand up here and preach a sermon. And God still wants to use you. you, don't, you well, you don't, you don't use my, you know, my past. God wants to use you. Because you know who God has used throughout all of human history to, get, to basically put in place his redemptive plan? Here's the type of people. Common, ordinary, average people. You say, hey, I don't know about that. Well, what did we, who, in, in Matthew chapter number 28, Jesus told his 11 disciples, I want to use you to go tell the whole world. What do you think those disciples were? Do you think they were like the highest qualified people in all of the world? No, Jesus said, uh, oh yeah, you, a bunch of you guys are fishermen? I think I'm going to use you guys. I mean, you can't get much more common in his day and time uh, uh, that on the Sea of Galilee, then what do you do for a living? I'm a fisherman. They were just common, average, ordinary guys, who, by the way, uh, had a lot of issues. No, I want you to think about the disciples. They had all kinds of issues. They were some of the most selfish people, just like me. Hopefully you'll still like me after I say this. You. They're fighting, Jesus, can I be on your right hand, like in the kingdom? Can I be the vice president? And, and, and in fact, some of them even had their mama help them out. <laughs> These guys were selfish. Oftentimes, Jesus tries to teach them things. They didn't get it. They were oftentimes, and, and then I want you to think about this. Think about Matthew chapter number 28, when Jesus says to those guys, I want you to go and teach all nations. This, by the way, he, he said those words to them, not at the beginning, though he did tell them at the beginning, I'm going to make you fishers of men. He told them after his death, burial, and resurrection. And you say, well, what's significant about that? Um, do you know what they did two weeks ago? What? They buried him. And where were, where were these 11 guys two weeks ago or three weeks ago? We're not exactly sure, but it, I mean, it's weeks. Where were those 11 guys when Jesus was on the cross? Any, can anyone help me? What's that, sir? Hidden. They fled. They forsook him. Now, the Bible says John stood afar off. So John didn't quite flee as much as the other ones fled. The Bible also say this. Thomas, he had this problem. He doubted. In fact, Matthew chapter number 28, verse 16 says this. Some of them doubted. We don't even know who those are. John 20 would be a parallel account to the Matthew 28, tells this after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, that the, Jew, that, they, that the disciples, the 11 of them, they hid themselves up, they locked themselves up for the fear of the Jews. These 11 disciples are so scared what might happen to them because their leader, Jesus, just died. They were so scared that they're locking themselves up like, I hope it doesn't happen to me. Uh, what did Peter do a couple weeks ago, when, just before Jesus told him, hey, I want to use you to reach the whole world. How many times did he uh, deny the Lord? Oh, yeah, remember that when Jesus was arrested? And they said, oh, yeah, Peter, Peter. Now, now you're his disciple, right? What did Peter say? I don't even know who you're talking about. Oh, Peter, we, we, we seen you're with him. We know you're his disciple. I don't know the man. Denial number two. They said this, Peter, 
we have video surveillance evidence from the Chinese government. You are his disciple. Peter says, I don't know the man. I don't want anything to do with the man. Leave me alone. I, I have no part with him. Come on now. Oh, I got out of the camera. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, do you see who, who we're talking about? These men were often selfish. They were also fixed on their own agenda, fixed on their own mission, fearful, scared, forsakers, deniers. And Jesus says, you men. You men with all of your problems, with all of your issues, I want to use you men to go and convert the whole world. <laughs> Seems ridiculous, doesn't it? You know why? Jesus didn't pick those 11 men because he, he thought that they could get the job done. You know why he picked those 11 men? Here it is. He knew what the Spirit of God could do through them. The Spirit comes in Acts chapter number 2, 3,000 get saved. Acts chapter number 4, 5,000 get saved. i got to go quick because I'm running out of time. And all through the book of Acts, I'm talking about some very ordinary sermons that these men probably preached. And yet God was there and the Spirit of God worked. Because here's the deal. When a person, an individual who's saved, simply just lets go and declares Christ and shares Christ, then the Word of God and the power of the Spirit is what really brings about change. And here God used all of those men, and they were quite ordinary men. And I've got to wrap it up here, church, but what I'm saying is this. You and I have a great privilege because God's redemptive plan involves saving all different types of people. You know who God wants to save? Well, the easy answer is this, everyone. Here's a specific, though, your neighbor your coworker, clients at work, family members, random people in your community, Sri Lankans, Chinese, we could go on. But what I'm saying is this, you and I, and here's where it recognizes this, you and I, there's got to come in our life where we realize this, God's plan to redeem man involves, and you have to say it this way, me. God wants to use you to reach someone else. Most of you in here are not going to reach anyone in Tennessee. Is that where you're going, Brother Ed? Brother Ed, a specific place in Tennessee, there's some people that God wants you to reach. You know there's some men in here that you work with some people that pastor will never meet. He'll never be able to share Christ with them. You know what God wants you to do? Use you to share Christ with them. You have some neighbors I'll never meet. You know what you should do? Share Christ with them. I'll never meet them. There's some Sherlockans you'll never meet. I need to share Christ with them. All of us have a circle of people, a people who God brings in our path. And God wants to use us to share the gospel with those people. Because God's redemptive plan is to save them. Now, by the way, we can't zap them. We, it's not, we, we wish we could. You can't save. Our responsibility is be faithful to tell them. Faithful to invite them to church. To be your guest here at Berean Baptist Church. The people that God brings in your path. To share your testimony with people that God brings in your path, to share your salvation testimony, to share Christ with them, to invite them to church, to do all of those things. What I'm just saying to you, church, is this. 
as a missionary and you as a Christian, we really, and we could say this as Pastor Reno, we all have one of the same jobs, and that is this, to share the gospel, to duplicate ourselves wherever we are currently located. Right now, I kind of feel like I don't have a home. <laughs> it's kind of weird. It's hard to really have a prospect list. It's hard to have a really for me and people. But you, you probably live in a certain spot. And God has given you people in your path. And I pray that you would recognize this. God's put them in my path to be a witness to them. And so tonight, maybe is what you need to do is say, God, I don't know if you could use me, but somehow would you use me? Maybe you haven't shared Christ with anyone in years. Maybe you've never shared Christ. Maybe you've never invited anyone to church. Maybe it's been a long time. Maybe you say, you need to come tonight and just say, God, would you, would you help me to be more mindful of souls? Maybe tonight there's someone specific. Someone I mentioned your path. There's someone on your path who you know is not saved. Or maybe there's someone on your path who you're not sure that's saved. And you could give me a name right now and you could say, Tom, Becky. Or maybe you just know a certain person that gives me my coffee every morning to get me going. <laughs> maybe tonight what you need to do is come and pray for that person. Maybe there's someone you had been praying for, for them to be saved for a while, and they had, didn't get saved, and you kind of gave up on it. That's easy to do, isn't it? Who has God placed in your path that he wants to use you to be part of his redemptive plan to share Christ with them? The question then is this, not for guilt's sake, but who will be there at the throne room worshiping Christ because of you? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd help us. I'm thankful for my salvation. And I sense just in preaching tonight that your people here are so thankful for their salvation. And no doubt the people that I have spoken to, no doubt, I, I don't know them, so there, there's no way for me to know the condition of their heart, no way for me to know what's going on. And no doubt many of them are a faithful testimony in the places that you have placed them there, and amongst the path, the people that come across their path. God, I would imagine that if the people before me are much like me, then oftentimes my selfishness, my busyness, my own human comfort can get in the way of me being obedient to being a witness, to being a testimony for you. And so God, I, I hope that as a reminder tonight that your people would be helped to be reminded that your plan is to reach all people, all different types of people, and your plan involves us telling everyone in our path about you and sharing you with them. And so tonight, God, if you've spoken, God, I pray that you'd help us and know that you have, help us to respond. And so would you help us now? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you do this? Would you, would you stand with